I've always been a fan of movies and how they play out um, on the screen. I, I like to read. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I love to read. Um, but there's something about when you read a book and then you watch the movie that comes to life before you. And so a lot of times I'll know there's a movie out there that, that there's a book for and I'll just avoid the book altogether because I want to see the movie. And so every time, every once in a while, there's this movie that comes out and it'll always start by featuring something that's already happened. Like it'll say 10 years earlier or two days before. And we get this, what happened before this happened kind of moment. Now we've looked together over the life of Peter, we started that series together. Uh, last couple of weeks, we've been in Second Peter together. The first week, we talked about how Peter was trying to catch them and, and trying to turn them and steer them towards truth again. Last week, Mike Satterfield was here with us, and he talked about how the Bible is absolutely believable and how we can trust it. And so this week, having that in mind, I want to go back with you. So do me a favor. Go ahead and open your Bibles to 2 Peter and leave your finger there or your bulletin there, whichever you want to do. Um, if you are looking through a pew Bible, by the way, those are in front of you, um, 2 Peter chapter 2 is on page uh, 783. So you don't even have to kind of look, you can just grab that pew Bible out, 783, and you're right there. But I want you to leave your finger there because I want to go back. And to go back, I want to look with you at John chapter 21. So I'm going to do it in my Bible with you. I'm going to turn to John 21 because I want you to see something that took place in Peter's life. I alluded to it two weeks ago that for some reason Peter had to have things in threes uh, to understand it. And this is one of those moments in Scripture. At this point, Jesus in John uh, chapter 21 has already died and risen again and he is appearing before certain groups of people and in John 21 he is there in front of the disciples and he says something that speaks to Peter he says these words I want to go fishing now remember who Peter is now Peter has left his boats he's left his nets he's following after Jesus and so in chapter 21 Jesus is saying something to Peter that's his former life now He's telling him, I want to go fishing. And Peter goes, man, it's been a while. <laughs> okay, let's go fishing, man. So, man, that's what they do. They, they go fishing. And Jesus is it's like with them. He's, he's just getting after it. And he says this question, men, where are your fish? And they answered, uh, hey, this is going to sound crazy, Jesus, but we don't have any. He says, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find them there. Back to this old lifestyle, back to a similar question that Jesus heard before uh, with Peter, and that Peter's heard Jesus say before. At this moment, I, I just kind of wonder that. Um, kind of makes you wonder, is Peter already catching it? Is he already getting who's asking the question? So... They go back out and they fish, and man, they bring in a lot of fish. Here's what it says Peter does. Peter notices who said it, and it says that he ties off his garment, and he jumps in and he swims out to where Jesus was, which is like 100 yards away of swimming. It's like Peter's getting after it to be close to Jesus now. 
He's out there. They're having this moment. And in verse 15, he says this. When they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. You know what he doesn't call him here? Peter. Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he says, feed my sheep, he said. I assure you, when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to signify what kind of death he would glorify God. After saying this, he told them, follow me. You know, we talked in the first week that Second Peter is at the end of Peter's life. He's grown old. His time is growing short. And he's, he's kind of writing this letter to say, don't forget these things after I'm gone. All along knowing in John 21, he already has heard what Jesus is going to say at the end of his life. It's going to look like. It says that Jesus told him this so that in his death he could glorify God. And here we are. End of his life. Time is growing short. And Peter writes to the churches. Kind of makes you wonder what had happened, what transpired between the time Peter had talked to these churches to where he is today. But one of the things we know for certain is this. They started listening to the wrong people. Somewhere along the line, some teachers had come through not only his teaching, but we'll learn in chapter 3 next week, Paul's teaching. These people have had incredible teachers. They had incredible instructors, incredible mentors in faith. And regardless of that, some teachers have arose now uh, that are now teaching a gospel that's different than even Paul or Peter have taught them. These men have come in and they're starting to teach that anything's permissible and it's good as long as God can forgive you. And so they're accumulating wealth. They're living adulterous lifestyles. And Peter's looking back, shaking his head going, what are y'all doing? Why are you listening to these guys? These guys are jokers. They don't even know what they're talking about. They've forgot the gospel completely. And so as he's writing this book back, as he's writing this letter, he's trying to remind them that there's some truths that they're missing. That's why he has to start by saying, hey, listen, make every effort to supplement your faith. Refine it, grow strong. And then he reminds them, man, God's word is trustworthy. Don't lose sight of it. Don't lose your grip on it. And so we get into chapter 2, which, by the way, Peter didn't write in chapters and verses. I want to remind you of that. This is a letter. We get chapters and verses from memorization or organization. This is all one letter to Peter. And he writes them these words. But there are also these false teachers among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their unrestrained ways, and the way of truth will be blasphemed because of them. They'll exploit you 
in their greed with deceptive words, their condemnation uh, pronounced long ago is not idle, for their destruction does not sleep. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but threw them down into Tartus, and believed and delivered them to be kept in chains of darkness until judgment. And if he didn't spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, when he brought a flood on the, whole, uh, on the world for the ungodly. And if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to ruin, making them an example to those who are going to be ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the unrestrained behavior of the immoral. For he has lived among them, that righteous man tormented himself day by day with the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant people, they do not tremble when they blaspheme the glorious ones. However, angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a slanderous charge against them before the Lord. But these people, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed, speaking blasphemes about things they don't understand, and in their destruction they too will be destroyed. Suffering harm is their payment for unrighteousness. They consider it a pleasure to carouse in the daytime. There are spots and blemishes delighting in the deceptions as they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, and they're always looking for sin. They seduce unstable people and have hearts trained in greed, children under a curse. They have grown astray by abandoning the straight path and followed the path of Balaam, the son of Bozar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but rebuked a rebuke from his transgression. A donkey that could not uh, talk spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's irrationality. If these people are, with, uh, are springs without water, mist driven by a whirlwind, the gloom of darkness has reserved for them. For by uttering boastful, empty words, they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery, people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. For if having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... They are again entangled in these things and defeated. The last day is worse for them than the first. For if it would have been better for them not to know the way of righteousness, than after knowing it to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his vomit and a sow after washing itself wallows in the mud. Man, Peter is writing a passionate letter. In this moment, he's not trying to mix words. He's not trying to cover up anything. He's not talking in parable. He's going right to the point. He's trying to warn them that these false teachers are about to pull them down a path that they were never supposed to walk down. And in fact, it is so destructive, he has to write it in such a way that it's an impassioned plea to not follow these false teachers that he has to remind them that teachers often and always will serve a different kind of judgment. We have to be careful what we allow into our minds and into our hearts. Because not everything is truth. Remember, Paul, test all things. Hold on to what is good. We need to test what we hear. I want you to know something as your pastor. I want you to test what I say. I want you to go to the Word. I want you to be students of the Word, not for my sake, but for your sake. You should know what Scripture says. So are you ready for a test? 
did Jesus ask Peter to go fish? We just read John 21. Did Peter ask Jesus uh, did Jesus ask Peter to go fish? No, he didn't. They went on their own. They didn't know what else to do. Jesus is on the shore. Test everything you hear. Test it because you need to be a good student of the word. Listen, we don't need to be just hearers of the word, but to be doers. And how can we know what to do if we don't practice reading it? We got to be students. So here we go. Number one, we should always be warned of false teaching. Peter tells them, listen, there is also false teachers among you. Just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Even denying the master who brought them will bring stiff destruction on themselves. Here's the funny thing about false teaching. These false teachers come in and they teach falsely and they want you to get the same judgment they are going to get. They know what's happening. False teachers are false teachers because they know a truth and don't teach it. We'll learn that a little bit later in Scripture. So here's the problem. You may be wondering, well, how do I decipher if I'm hearing false teaching or truth? All Scripture is God-breathed and is trustworthy. If it's not God's Word, it's probably not a truth. Our life has got to be built on truth. So how can we know if it's false? Know the word. Test the word. Hold accountable to the word. Listen, I am a man. You're like, oh, no kidding. Um, but I expect for you to say, hey, Pastor Kyle, can I talk to you maybe tomorrow? Hey, I was listening to you preaching. You said these words. You know how many times I've gone back to listen to a sermon and gone, wow, not good. I misspoke that. I would hope that you would hold that same thing for our church. Because I believe that this should be a place with truth on its lips. So know the word. Here's what else. There's always going to be teachers. Why is it that we send our students off to colleges and they leave the faith? Because there's always another teacher out there. There's always someone that seems like they've got it put together. I can remember sitting in my psychology class my freshman year of college. I was at a junior college in Odessa. I walked into psychology, and the psychology professor just said these words. Truth is relative. You ever heard that? I started going, truth is relative. Truth, truth is my relative? Is it my mother-in-law? No, I didn't think of it at the time. Uh, wasn't married. But I started thinking, so if truth is relative, is there truth? Because it may be true to me, but not truth to you. So let's just play that story out. And I remember debating my professor. I got a B, by the way. I got a B, not because I couldn't pass the test, but because I disagree with the professor. I think sometimes it's worthy to get a B in a class when a professor doesn't agree with truth. I remember saying this. I disagree with you. And he said, okay, let's do this. Almost as if to say, I've prepared all summer for you to walk in the door. I said, okay. He said, tell me why all truth is not relative. And I said, are we in your class? He said, depends. I was like. I said, so I could stay home and still be in your class. No, you would fail. I said, no, no, no. That's your truth. My truth says I can stay home and still ace your class. Well, you'd have to take the test. No, 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 that's your truth. My truth says that your test can be passed 
from my house on my couch. Well, you wouldn't make a passing grade. I don't know. Your truth. My truth says all of my answers will be truthful and right. And he laughed at me and he said, you're going to be fun. And so we, we dug into Freud. And if you've ever studied Freud, his name should be Fraud, right? Because he was crazy. I mean, if you really look at what he thought, right? Those of y'all that have studied psychology, you, you were there. At some point, you had to turn your mind off. And then we started studying science versus scripture. That showed up because I would take my Bible to class. I always loved that part. He would say, well, this is what we should all agree about. And I'm like, hmm. I go to the back of my Bible and go, let's see. Um, discouragement. Joshua 1.9, be not discouraged. Well, that's really cute, Kyle, but uh, science tells us, and I'd be like, relative truth. We can't both be right. He's like, well, I'm the professor in here, so I'm the one that's right. And I'm like, mm -hmm. <laughs> See, that's the problem with truth, isn't it? Either it's truth or it's a myth. So let me give you a for instance. I am wearing shoes today. Do you agree? Yeah, you can talk. That's good. Yes, I'm wearing shoes. However, I'm wearing dress shoes today. Do you agree with that? See, some people would say no, because I'm clearly not wearing a dress with my shoes so I am wearing nice shoes today because that is my truth. You may have your own truth. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? We could do this all day. Or we could finally find a place where truth is absolute truth. Where we don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. We can go, the truth. So let me give you some truths right quick. God created the world. And in that creation of it, at some point, he made you in his image. And of all the things he built, he was most pleased with you. In fact, because you were made in his image, you possess the image of God, even if you don't love him. You look like him. I think what's the most amazing about that is this. Even though you don't love him, he loved you so much that he created all of this so that you might have a relationship with a holy God. And he sent his son to us. That he would live a perfect life. He would be tempted but never sin, unlike us. And he would do that his whole life and ultimately pay the price for you're in my sins, the stuff, the times we were tempted and we bit the bait. He died so that that sin could be covered by his blood and we could possess an opportunity to have a relationship with God if we would put our hope and faith in him. That's the truth. You know the most amazing thing about that? Scripture tells us the truth sets us free. But see, here's the problem with truth. You can only be set free by that truth 
if it's a part of you. Because I believe as much as the truth sets free, as Scripture says, we also get from Paul that the truth can also be a place of judgment. And in this moment with Peter, he reminds them of what that truth really looks like. He tells them there's false teachers among you, and they don't get it. They're bringing in destruction on themselves, and they want you all to be a part of their destructive nature. Isaiah talks about this in his day. It says, the Lord says, because these people approach me with their mouths to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me. Their worship consists of man-made rules learned by rote. Therefore, I will again confound these people with wonder after wonder. The wisdom of their wise men will vanish, and the understanding of their perception will be hidden. Woe to those who go to great lengths to hide their plans from the Lord. They do their works of darkness and say, who sees us? Who knows us? You turn these things around as if the potter were in some way the same as the clay. How can what is made say to its maker, you didn't make me. You didn't do this. Isaiah saw it in his day. Paul saw it. Peter sees it. And so do we. The most amazing thing about these times in history is that the truth stayed the exact same through all of it. And yet we did nothing about it. In this moment, Peter tells them, these false teachers, they're going to come. They're going to say to you, isn't God supposed to forgive you of everything? So let's just do anything we want. As though they live in a way that has no consequences. And it's easy, Scripture tells us in Peter, it's easy to fall for lies. It's difficult to hold the truth. Verse 2, many will follow their unrestrained ways, and the way of truth will be blaspheming among them. It's hard to hold the truth when you hear so many things, so be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Remember this? Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. It may have been the best theology ever as children. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. With all the same tagline at the end, for the Father up above is looking down with what? Love. What do we say? Judgment. And these people were saying, he's only love, man. Do what you want to do. Be free. These were the hippie teachers of Peter's years. All you need is love, love. Love is all you need. And Peter's like, God is love. For God so loved the world. Love is not accumulating for yourself as much of you as you can get. Love is attaching to God and getting as close to him as you possibly can get. Because the world is coming at you. And these men were teaching, you don't have to look like Jesus. He forgives you. Look like us. They had their pockets full of money. They had women under each arm. They're teaching all this stuff. And people went, they look powerful. They look happy. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. And Peter's going, it's called sin. Don't look like that. That's called sin. And it leads down to a path called destruction. Remember the house in New Orleans? They call the rising sun. That house is on every street corner and in every home. 
with a TV screen, with an iPad, with a phone. And we have people just simply saying, I can do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, because God will forgive me. God goes, I will. But eventually you're going to ruin when you walk down that path. Eventually you're going to look messy. The other day we went to pick up my daughter from a party. And I, I, I love keeping my cars clean. I mean, I'm not just talking like somewhat clean. I'm talking smelling good and looking good kind of clean. I'm talking when I pull up next to someone, I want them to go, wow, their car is clean. That kind of clean. The problem is where we went to pick my daughter up was all muddy roads. And see, what I was thinking the whole time was not, man, I hope we can get my daughter from here. What was I thinking? My car's going to get pretty dirty. And it's sitting out in the parking lot right now. And guess what? It's really dirty. And, I mean, April can tell you. I mean, there's a few things in this world that I may be OCD level on. Car cleanliness is one of them. Like, if I get into your car and I have to sit on Cheerios, I'm not riding with you again. I love you in Jesus' name, but we're not riding together. I do not like Cheerio seats. If I'm getting into your car and there's like, if there's mud up the side, you better have mud tires and we better be going down to the river. That's when you can be muddy. But if you're just driving around town and going to your work and you still have mud up the sides, I'm out. Love you in Jesus' name, but we're out. We'll take my car. Because on a weekly basis, I'm at the free uh, vacuum station down the road just vacuuming out my car. There's nothing in it. I pull up the mats and vacuum. Some of y'all didn't even know your mats came up. I, I pull them off the things and I vacuum underneath them. You know why? I love a clean car. Sin is the ability to say God can clean me, but to live like your car is as dirty as possible. Let me just tell you this. What Jesus sets free should choose to stay that way. You should never go back to this former life. And these teachers are telling people, live how you want to live. I mean, God will forgive you, and, and it's okay. And they're just accumulating for themselves stuff. Because greed tends to precede false teaching. That's what he says here. They will exploit you in their greed. That's why we have so many great teachers today that preach on TV telling you that God wants you to have everything. I listened to two preachers one day talk about the fact that God told them that they both needed Learjets. And started talking about how the other one needed a Learjet because he had a Learjet. In fact, one was on his jet and said to the other one, God told me one day, what do you think about this? And he said, God, I'm happy with it. And he said, that's it? That's all you're going to ask me for? He said, well, God, I, 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 what are you asking? He said, you don't want a bigger jet? And he said, well, God, yes, I do. And I need one so that I don't have to travel around other people. And I started thinking to myself, they have a different God than me. I do not believe my God is the God of Learjets. I believe my God is the God of Guatemala, where people suffer every day and he wants to feed the hungry. I believe my God is the God of Amarillo, Texas, where we have homeless people with no homes and no clothes. That's my God. And so it's really hard for me to identify in their greed how that is the voice of God and it's not telling them to sell everything they have and follow him. 
sounds like the voice of Jesus in that sentence rather than the God of bigger jets. So if you have a jet, call me. Anyways, <laughs> Scripture tells us in verses 4 through 16 this line of judgments. And, and it's really interesting. We get the angels, we get Noah, we get Sodom and Gomorrah, we get Lot, we get all these stories around them that those in, in this, this place, in this time, as, as Peter's writing this letter, they would have been studying on a constant basis. And he just tells them, listen, if God judged that, don't you think he's still the God that judges this? He is not a foreign God. And let me just remind us, this is Peter writing, let's take it to us. Don't you think that God is going to judge us? I believe he's always still the same God. And I believe he will not settle for sins of men. I believe there's always a judgment for sinful living. And it needs to be a reminder to us that we're so fearful of an enemy that we've forgotten the fear of the holy. And we need to be called back to a lifestyle that says, oh God, forgive me for acting like you're not there. And Peter's reminding them, don't be afraid of the enemy be afraid of God. Be afraid of our Father that art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God will not settle for sin. He will not settle for our sin. There will be a judgment. Now, I want to remind you of something. When we get to heaven, those of us in Christ, when we appear before the Father, we have an advocate there. Jesus Christ will stand on our behalf. This side of heaven, when you act like the world, you'll get its receipts. And I promise you this, God wants his children healed and not just happy. He is not just a, it's okay, better time. He is, okay, I'm about to say something. So, God is not a coach at a little league football game where everything is just okay. God is a holy God who demands of us change. So let's open our eyes to that. So he tells these teachers, hey, listen, there's false teachers. It's difficult to hold the truth, so hold on to it. Greed precedes this. And then he says there's always a judgment for these teachers. It's always there. In fact, in verse 17 he says they're like springs without water. It's difficult. It's a hard path. And then he finishes with probably the hardest part of this particular chapter for us. He says, Peter tells us that they know truth, but they don't preach it. How do we know that? Verse 21, for it would be better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its vomit, and a sow, after washing itself, wallows in the mud. You ever had this moment, and just join me in this because I have, where you've asked God to forgive a sin in your life, and then you do it again? Anybody? I'm the only one? Okay. I'm glad you are super Christians. Anyways, we've all been here <laughs> where, where we've done something in our life that we're like, God, forgive me for that. I don't ever want to do that again. And then we do it again. And then what do we say then? 
God, forgive me. Don't ever let me do that again. I don't want to do that. And then what do we do? We do it again. You know why? Because we tried it with our strength and our might and our understanding and our greatness. And God goes, doesn't work that way. I think we're so trapped for way too many times with way too many people that are living half-existent Christianity because we're trapped in the life of sin. We've heard someone talk and say, no, you're okay. And it should make our stomachs upset, sin. It should draw us back. And I've long said, I think everybody should have the passion of the Christ on their phone. That when sin is is entertaining your mind, where that temptation appears, that you start the passion of the Christ on your phone. Because when I saw it, it made my stomach hurt. It made me weep. It made me hurt. And that wasn't even Jesus. That was Jim Caviezel. But it was pretty gnarly and nasty, wasn't it? There's a reason we don't show it on Sunday mornings. Because children are in the room. It's rated R. Shame on y'all that watched the rated R movie. Anyways, um... But we get it, don't we? That if we really put Jesus at the forefront of our minds, when we saw sin happening, we would avoid it at all costs. Problem is, we don't put Jesus at the forefront of our minds. But really being honest, we put us at the forefront of our minds. And that's what the chapter 2 of Peter, 2 Peter, is all about. He just warns them, false teachers are always going to tell you that you're okay that you don't have to change, that you don't need salvation, that you don't need healing, that you don't need change. But Jesus came to change your life, not leave you the same. He didn't come for you just to be okay in your walk. He came for you to be radically changed. So today that can be you. Today that should be you. Because God loved you so much that he sent Jesus for us. Because the weight of our sin was too much for you and I to deal with we needed help and Jesus was the help that's still there today for you to receive him as your savior and lord that's what we call that savior and lord he saves us from our sin he saves us from ourselves and lordship means he leads us then like a shepherd leads sheep we all need that I need that you need that will you give him that today from you give him your everything You don't have to be clean today. You don't have to have it all put together. You don't even have to talk the right way or act the right way. You need to come to him anyway and let him do the rest of the work. He's going to prepare you. He's going to protect you from false teaching. And he's going to lead you on how to be healed. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray, Lord, that this morning you would speak over us, Lord. May your spirit fall fresh on this place today. God, may we be changed by what you have to say to us in our lives and in our hearts. God, we want to be in a place and in a time in our spiritual walk where when we hear false teaching, God, we run from it. But Father, too often we're the teachers that are teaching the wrong things. So God, protect us from us as well. Though we need you desperately. So God, speak over us. Heal us, God. Protect us, God. And Lord, lead us to listen to your word, the truth. We want to be changed by you today, Lord. So lead people to give you their lives today. Savior and Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to worship. I want to invite you into that, but I sure want to invite you back to the altar. Maybe as you're here earlier praying, you're asking God to do something drastic in your life. And right now you need to plead before him, God, I don't want to leave this room without that happening. Maybe it's for your marriage. Maybe it's for your family. Maybe it's for your job. Maybe it's for your walk. Maybe as you heard the sermon today, you heard, I'm listening to the wrong things and I need that change to happen in my life. Today, would you come to the altar? Would you come talk to one of us pastors? We, I promise you two things. One, we'll listen and two, we'll pray for you long after today is over. So come, let's worship together. Let's look unto Jesus. Let's make him Savior and Lord.